if you're trying to create real sustainable competitive advantage from the experience that you deliver, I would argue it is not enough to merely satisfy customers. You need to impress them. You need to leave that indelible impression that we were talking about in their minds that makes them excited to work with you again and excited to tell others about you. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. I want you to imagine a scenario that you've probably been in before. Think about someone really important in your life. Your spouse, your child, maybe your best friend. Now imagine that you just gave them a gift and you ask them, what do you think? How do you like the gift? And they respond with, it's okay. Or even worse, if they say, it's fine. Now, what's your next thought? If you're smart, you're likely thinking, oh no, is something wrong? Is there anything I can do to make this better? In our personal relationships, we don't want people to just be fine. We don't want people to just be okay. We don't want people to just be satisfied. But why do we aspire to that in our businesses? Why do we try to achieve a state where our customers are merely fine okay, satisfied. This week's guest kicks off his latest book with a pretty bleak statement of, if you're aspiring to satisfy your customers, then you're aspiring to mediocrity. Do you really want mediocrity? Because your customers sure don't want to experience mediocrity. Sure, we know that customers will leave after a bad experience, But we don't stop to realize that they also leave for an okay experience, a satisfactory experience. Think about it. You may keep buying from a brand just because they're meeting your expectations and you feel okay as long as they continue doing that. But what if you find a brand that will exceed your expectations? What if you find a brand that will deliver a remarkable experience every single time? Now, combine that with how easy it is to switch brands today. Bye-bye, satisfactory experience. See ya. And that's just what your customers are doing with your satisfactory experience. And that's why I was really happy to talk with John Pico this week. John's the founder of Watermark Consulting. He's a keynote speaker and one of the most noted authorities on customer experience and employee experience. He's been featured by dozens of media outlets like Wall Street Journal, New York Times, NBC News, and Forbes. And John is the author of From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. John and I discuss his lessons around building customer loyalty through his 12 customer experience principles. And what's great is that these principles can be applied to most any type of business, and they can be applied to your employee experience to build more loyalty from your people. 
So here it is. Here's my interview with John Pico. Hi, John. How are you today? Matt, I am great. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. This is going to be exciting. I am excited to kick off your new year of guests. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I was excited to see your new book. Congratulations, From Impressed to Obsessed. And actually, just based off the title alone, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. So it sounds like you place as much importance on the employee experience as the customer experience. Why is that? Well, you know, one of the things that the book does is actually explores what the right definition of customer is. Because if you're trying to create a great brand experience for people, I think you've got to have clarity about who it is that you're serving. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is the notion that employees really are a type of customer. You know, they're trying to derive value from the organization that they work for, the leader that they work with. And so while unlike a customer, they're not paying you, you're actually paying them, they're still trying to derive value. And so a lot of the same techniques that are used to create a great customer experience can actually be applied in the workplace to create a great employee experience. And the reason that's important is I've always believed that over the long term, you can't create a great differentiated customer experience if you don't have employees who are engaged, inspired, and equipped to deliver that experience. And so that's why the title is as it is, because I think those are two sides of the same coin. And you really need to pay attention to both of those dimensions if you want to distinguish your company for the brand experience you're delivering, whether that's cut to customers or employees. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I'm a firm believer of that as well. And one of the things that I like to teach people is that every person that you interact with is your customer. Everyone that you're delivering any sort of experience to is your customer. So it's the people that you report to. It's the people that report to you. It's the people in the other functional areas that you collaborate with. And I'd say even though you're paying them as a client, it's even your vendors and agencies that work with you as well. Everyone is your customer. Yeah, agreed. And, and that's why an entire chapter of the book is dedicated to this idea of really figuring out who are all of your customers. Because if you think you only have one customer, you're probably looking at things a little too parochially. And it could benefit from kind of uh, expanding your purview a bit and thinking about all of the people that derive value from the products and the services and the support that you provide. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that anyone that you interact with in a professional capacity deserves to be treated as some type of customer and to have an experience that is engineered specifically for them and their needs and their wants. And I think when you instill that mindset into everyone across your organization, then customer experience becomes everybody's job. It's part of the culture. Yes. I think that that is where many companies actually go wrong is, um, it's only the people who are routinely interacting with the end customer, the, the individual or the business that's writing the check for your products or services. It's only those people who really are thinking in terms of customer experience, because for them, the customer is front and center day in and day out. But the truth of the matter is there are a whole host of people that are supporting the front lines efforts. And if those people don't see themselves as having a customer, albeit an internal one, that they too need to impress, 
then you know the entire house of cards kind of falls apart. So, for example, the the people that support the technology that the contact center is using, if those folks don't deliver a great experience to their internal customers, to the call center agents, then there's really no hope that those call center agents are going to be able to deliver a great experience to the end customers. So there is this whole value chain that I think it's really important for companies to recognize. And it's actually one of the reasons why I hate the term back office. You know, I think that those are two words that should be stricken from the vocabulary of any organizational leader, because when you utter those words, it kind of has a negative connotation, I think. And actually, it shapes people's cognitions in the wrong way, because when you say that, you know, you're in the back office, it almost implies that you really don't have a customer. You're like behind the scenes. Nobody ever sees you. You don't clean up nice. And that's not what you want those people to think about. You want them to realize that while they might not be customer facing, they are most definitely customer impacting. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got the mindset that if you tell employees that are part of the back office or the support functional areas, how much they play a role in the customer experience, I think that helps get them more engaged. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It helps give them some sense of purpose in terms of why, whatever they're doing, why does it even matter? It helps them to gain line of sight between what they are doing day to day and the ultimate impact on the customer. And I'll tell you a story back when I was in the corporate world before I launched my own firm. One of my first executive roles was leading customer service for a financial services company. And back then, there was less digital communication between customer and company, and it was mostly done through the mail. And so we had this whole mail desk and this whole department of people that were charged with sorting the incoming mail and routing it to the appropriate department. And one of the things that I made sure to do when I first took on that position was to sit down with those people and to help them understand the criticality of their role in the organization. Because I actually felt like they almost felt like second-class citizens. You know, I mean, we're the mail desk. Like, how are we important? Uh, You know, we're never on the phone or meeting with customers directly. And what I explained to them was, if you don't get your job right, nothing else can possibly work. I mean, because if you don't route the mail to the right place, so it gets to the right individual, the right department promptly, then it's almost like no matter what happens after that, we're just not going to have any hope of impressing the customer. And so it's those kinds of conversations that I think it's important for leaders to have with everyone in their organization so that people see the forest through the trees. They understand how what I am doing However administrative uh, it might seem, however distant it might seem from the customer, uh, how it nevertheless does have a cascading effect on the quality of the experience that the, the business ultimately delivers. Yeah. And it's so important for employees to have a really solid understanding of the role that they play in the overall customer experience alongside understanding the roles that others play And I think that actually ties to and speaks to the analogy that you give in your book, talking about customer experience being a choreographed performance, having that interplay of onstage and backstage components. Yeah, um, I like the using this analogy of a great customer experience being like a beautifully choreographed stage performance. And the reason I like that analogy is because if you think about it, 
what kind of reaction do you want to elicit from your customer? You want to elicit a reaction like they're in the audience of this stage performance. And at the end of the performance, they just rise from their seats. They applaud. They shout encore. They're thrilled with what they've just seen. And when they eventually stop applauding and they leave the theater, what do they do? They can't wait to tell people about the performance that they just saw. And if you take that analogy a step further, I think that there is a distinct onstage component to the customer experience and a backstage component. And that onstage component is really everything that your customers can see, feel, hear, touch, and smell. You know, it's the websites, it's the call center interactions, it's the retail store, the things that people traditionally associate with customer experience. Yeah. And that onstage piece is obviously critically important. But then there's this whole backstage component. And by backstage, note that I do not mean back office. What I mean by backstage are all of the things that happen behind the curtain that while invisible to your customers, nevertheless exerts a material influence on the quality of the performance that they see. And some examples of these backstage influences would be like how you hire and select people. I mean, think about it. If you don't have the right actors and actresses on stage, then you really have no hope of delivering that impressive performance. And the same is true in the business world. If you're not hiring people that have that customer experience gene that that are just wired with empathy for customers, you know, you put them on stage and things just aren't going to go as well as, as you would want. Another example is how you measure and reward people completely invisible to your customers, but obviously the way humans behave and we sort of, you know, act in the way that we are measured and rewarded, it has an impact on the experience. And then, as you just said, the interplay between the actors and the actresses on stage, how those functional silos in the business interact with one another. Do they coalesce around a common vision for that customer experience? Those are all things that, again, not visible to your customer, but are a really big driver in terms of your success in delivering that great experience that that brings your customers to their feet and turns them into those lifelong fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to play a part in the most remarkable experiences. Everyone is taking those cues from everyone else and delivering what they deliver, but delivering it in collaboration with each other. So to look at your analogy of having a stage production, you could have some really great actors, some of the best actors. And if each one of them only individually stands on the stage and gives their lines in the best way, but doesn't do it in a way that plays off of the other actors, or doesn't do it that's in conjunction with what's going on with the scenery and the action and environment behind them, then the whole play falls apart. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. You know, you probably have seen this in your work, and I know many customer experience professionals are familiar with it, but you often find that where companies go wrong is they don't realize that their functional silos are sort of working at cross purposes. Uh, Each functional leader is sort of optimizing for a set of goals or metrics that are applied to his or her organization and not realizing that maybe some of the actions that they're taking 
are potentially undermining the success of another functional area and in turn undermining really the quality of the experience that's ultimately delivered to customers. So yeah, that cognizance of you know the setting behind you, the context, the players that you're on stage with, really important to have that in order for the entire troupe, if you will, to deliver that great performance. That's it. Yeah. It goes going beyond focusing on your own self or your own individual team and recognizing beyond meeting your own goals, are you helping or are you hindering the delivery of the overall experience? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So when we think about it as a stage production, like, you know, you talk about people giving standing ovations, want to tell their friends, becoming lifelong fans of this experience. So what really, what does it take to create fans? Well, if I had to answer that in a phrase, I think it takes creating indelible memories. And the reason I say that, and this is one of the reasons why that word impress is in the title of the book, and that's done very deliberately, because I think that uh, you can argue that how people remember their experiences with a business is actually even more important than the experience itself. And, And here's why I say that. If one of your clients, Matt, of your business is asked by a colleague at, say, an industry conference, hey, you know, uh, we're looking to do some simplification in our business. I remember you telling me you worked with Matt Lyles. Um, How was that? The next thing that's going to come out of your client's mouth is not going to be based on the experience they had with you and your firm. It's going to be based on what they remember about that experience. And the way our brains are wired, that actually can be substantively different than the experience itself, because we don't remember every detail in the experience. We remember our experiences as a series of snapshots, and those snapshots are are really taken at the peaks and the valleys of the experience. And so I think that is the key to creating lifelong fans, because when you shape people's memories strategically, what you're really doing is you're creating that cue for them so that when they are faced with a decision next time of, do I want to patronize that business again? Or do I want to refer a friend or a colleague to that business? They're going to be relying on their memories of the encounter with your business to make those choices. I really think that great customer experiences are an exercise in memory making because that's how you cultivate the repurchase and referral behavior that really is the lifeblood of any business. Well, then, so once you've established that need, that need for shaping memories, how can brands go about knowing the best places, the right places of where and how to shape those memories? Uh, I think that um, it would be nice if there were a silver bullet answer to that. And, you know, (laughs) I could say, well, you just have to conduct this survey or you just need to do this journey mapping or, or, you know, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, I think that there's a good deal of intuition that's involved in making that determination. And I think that the best way to do it, I'm not diminishing the value of quantitative surveys or customer journey mapping or tools like that, but I think that the most effective way to really understand what is most important to your customers is, uh, as I describe it in the book, it it amounts to going out in the wild and observing customers, talking to customers in their natural habitat. 
it's so easy for organizational leaders and entire organizations to take on an air of arrogance, feeling like, oh, we know what our customers want. We know what they like. We know what are the most important parts of the experience to them. But the annals of corporate history are littered with the carcasses of companies that thought they knew their customers well, but in truth did not. And only when they realized that was the case, it was already too late because some other upstart was eating their lunch. And so I think that is the key to really understanding what is most important to your customers is that you've got to get out there and step into their shoes. You need to become a customer, call your 800 line, visit your retail stores, try to execute some transaction with an administrative form that's provided. Or in addition, you want to observe customers as they are going through the motions, as they are going through the experience themselves, and then have some in-depth conversations to understand what were they thinking as they went through that whole process, as it all unfolded. I find that those are really the ways that you get those brilliant game-changing insights that not only help you to enhance your current customer experience, but also to innovate entirely new ways to deliver the experience that meet needs your customers had, but never even thought to articulate to you because they never imagined that you could actually help them with it. And there's a whole chapter in the book that's dedicated to this idea. It's um, of the 12 principles, the one it relates to is the idea of creating relevance for your customers. And the notion of creating relevant is really how you get to figuring out what are the things that are most important to people and how do you architect your experience to deliver on those points so that you're more likely to create uh, those indelible memories that we were talking about. Oh yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's being able to add the observation, being able to observe your customer, like you say, like that is so important. And that's, that's a lesson that I learned, I want to say maybe midway through my career, because in my career, I would look at and I would perform, you know, a lot of research and look at surveys and think, okay, this is what customers are saying. But then at some point midway through my career, I got to take part in, you know, user experience design research and actually watch customers, you know, sit down at a laptop trying to navigate through a website and was so eye-opening to me that you would have customers that would say, well, yes, this was easy to navigate. And yes, I was able to easily find what I was looking for, but observing them and watching them, I thought, I saw you click through five different pages to get to what you were looking for when you could have just clicked this one thing right here. So Mm -hmm. it obviously wasn't that easy. Yeah, yeah, it's very eye-opening, and I just think there's no substitute for that. The other reason why that's a beneficial exercise is, in my experience, I find that witnessing the customer with your own eyes or listening with your own ears and seeing either the frustrations that they encounter or the the dumb things that they do, as you just noted, you know, going through five web pages when it should have just taken one – When executives see that with their own eyes, it really motivates change, in my view, because you start to feel this, there's an emotional resonance that you get from watching your customers, watching them bastardize your products or services to do what they needed to do, but it wasn't designed to do. There's this emotional resonance that just you don't get when you read a survey response or when you read a research report. And so a lot of people, a lot of customer experience professionals, they struggle with how do I get my executive team on board? How do I get them excited and engaged to improve the customer experience? Well, 
I find one really effective way of doing that is making sure they get in front of the customer themselves, like that you give them the opportunity to see and hear those interactions with their own eyes, because that just makes it a lot more salient than anything they'll ever read in a research report. And so that's another reason why I think that whole idea of going out into the wild and observing customers in their natural habitat, it just works well on so many levels. It really does. Something in recent news in the past, I think, week or so, DoorDash announced that they are reinstating their internal program, I think called WeDash, where every single employee from the C-suite all the way down has to do one DoorDash delivery per month, I believe. Right. And a lot of people were praising this, but then you've seen some other backlash coming out from some of their highly paid engineers saying, well, I'm an engineer. I didn't sign up for this as part of my job description. And my thought was, but your job description is to better understand the customer and how to deliver the experience to them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is a great recent example. I think they just announced that that after a pause due to the pandemic, that that was coming back and they were reinstituting it sometime earlier this year. And that is a great example of a simple tactic that can have an enormous influence on the degree to which everyone in the company feels more connected to the customer and cultivates a better understanding of the customer. You know, another example of a company that does something like that is uh, Vanguard Investments, which is routinely rated among the highest in customer experience within the financial services realm. And they have something called their Swiss Army, which uh, whereby all of the executives and management, they're trained in how to answer the phones so that when there are spikes in volumes, those folks actually get on the phones and they help to manage the increase. It's a little different than DoorDash in that it's happening on an as-needed basis, but I think it really reflects a company that, that appreciates that at one point or another, everyone, including people in management, including people, say, in engineering, should have the opportunity to interact directly with customers because nothing bad can come from that. You know, only goodness comes from that. And no matter what role you have in the company, you're going to walk away from that exercise, no doubt, with a whole host of ideas on things that, that you can do better in your role to better support that customer experience. Yeah, because you'll truly understand what it feels like to be your customer. Right. You've almost word for word just uh, repeated my ultimate definition of customer experience, which is in the book. Yeah, I know you're big on simplicity and right. as am I. And I think it's important to use a definition of customer experience that everybody can wrap their head around really easily. And so I define it as uh, how customers feel about their interactions with you, with your business or with you personally. And that emotional component, that feeling component is so critical because that's really the thing that helps to shape those memories we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. It's how the customer feels. What are those emotions that they have throughout every touch point, every interaction, every impression? And then when you talk about how um, shaping memories, it's what's their memory of how they felt as well. So I love that. Yeah. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, 
You have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. Before we talk more about your principles, I do want to go over a statement that you made. I really loved reading this. Your book opens with what I think is a pretty strong statement. It says, if you're aspiring to satisfy your customers, then you're aspiring to mediocrity. And so we look at so many surveys, research, reports all around customer satisfaction. Do you think brands are focusing on and setting the bar at the wrong height as it relates to customer satisfaction? I do. I think that is a provocative statement at the beginning of the book, and, and it was certainly designed to be a provocative statement, but I believe it with all of my heart. And it is backed up by research because there have been many studies that have shown that satisfied customers defect all the time. And so if you're trying to create real sustainable competitive advantage from the experience that you deliver, I would argue it is not enough to merely satisfy customers. You need to impress them. You need to leave that indelible impression that we were talking about in their minds that makes them excited to work with you again and excited to tell others about you. And when you set the bar at just satisfaction, you don't elicit that kind of response. You don't create those indelible memories and you don't cultivate that repurchase and referral behavior that the impression uh, helps to create. So I think focusing on customer satisfaction is like a one-way ticket to the business graveyard. Yes. The other thing I would add though is, because when people hear that statement, I sometimes will have people challenge me and say, well, is it really reasonable to think that every business out there can impress their customers? And I say, absolutely, yes. And the reason I say that is because if you look at what people, what kind of experience people have been accustomed to receiving, if you look at where the customer experience bar is set in the marketplace, it actually indicates that there are a lot of things that you would believe are this sort of fundamental table stake elements to the experience that just most companies are not delivering on consistently. And so if you think about, I guess the way I'd put it is, I think that the calculus around what it takes to impress a customer has changed. If you look, for example, these days, 
you hear about these horror stories of people having to wait, say, eight hours on the phone to speak to an airline, uh, an airline customer service agent. Oh, yeah. You know, you hear these just horror stories. I mean, the pandemic has given a lot of companies, they've taken license to skimp on service even more than they were doing before. Well, think about it. If you call a company that you do business with, and somebody live actually picks up the phone and you don't have to go through like the 10 circles of voice response hell to get to a live person. Just imagine that if somebody just picks up and answers the phone promptly, would you not be impressed in today's world? And actually, the research that I did as part of the book indicates that, yes, the vast majority of people would be impressed, you know, just as people would be impressed when they're in a, a big box retail store and they need help choosing product and they actually find somebody just steps away, an employee who not only is there ready to help them, but actually competent and able to answer their questions. That happens so rarely in today's world that these are examples of really simple fundamental things that I think when any business delivers on those table stakes today consistently, they are impressing their customers because it's not something that people see routinely. That's true. But when you talk about what's impressive today, then becomes requirements in the future. So what's impressive today may not be considered impressive a couple of years from now if everyone decides, oh, I've received that type of experience. Now I expect that from everybody else. That is true, which is why the bar has the potential to be raised. The key is, it, and it's a big if, if all the companies or the majority of the companies, you know, in a particular industry actually march forward and elevate the quality of the experience that they're delivering. And that is a big if and certainly not guaranteed. But yes, presuming that does happen, that speaks to the importance of staying in touch with your customer and understanding what's relevant to them. Because what would impress them today might not impress them five years from now. The companies that do this well, because they have such a keen understanding of their customers and how their needs and expectations are evolving, it helps them to stay ahead of the curve. And so even while other companies might catch up, those great companies are able to leap ahead. You know, I think a great example of this is Amazon and everything that they've done around making the experience effortless for people. It began many years ago with their patented one-click purchase button, which was a, an astounding innovation back at the dawn of the internet era where you, know, you had to keep entering in your name and your billing information and address over and over again. And Amazon, you just had to do it once. And then it's right. one click and you buy whatever you want. Now they licensed that technology to other companies. So you could argue, as you just did, that, well, the bar was raised, right? But what did Amazon do? Well, it created other innovations to make things more effortless for customers. Things like their dash buttons, if you're familiar with those, these wirelessly yes. enabled buttons that are dedicated to particular brands. So if you need the Tide detergent, you've got this little button right in your laundry, you know, right on your washing machine, and you just press it, and it orders it for you. And then they came out with Alexa so that I don't even have to use my finger to click the mouse button. I just have to speak the command to Alexa to order whatever I want. So to me, the Amazon's a good example of a company that raised the bar, others followed, but they were just relentless in figuring out how do we make it even more effortless for people to buy from us, for people to interact with us? And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, they certainly are in that pantheon of customer experience greats. Oh, absolutely. 
And I think it also speaks to continuing to focus not on your competitors and what your competitors are offering, but focusing on your customer and what your customer wants and the type of experience that your customer expects. Because your customer may say, hey, if I can see my Domino's pizza and track it being delivered as it's driving through my neighborhood, then I expect that for everything else that's being delivered to me. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And it is certainly a trend that has clearly shaped customer perceptions over the last decade, if not more. This idea that people evaluate the experiences that they get from a business, not relative to other companies within that sector, but rather across all companies that that individual may have had recent interactions with. And so, yes, the fact that I can track my pizza from beginning to end with the Domino's Pizza Tracker. You know, the next thing I sort of wonder is when I bring my car into the shop, why can't I track the progress of my repairs just the way I'm tracking that pizza? So expectations, I think, have been elevated cross-industry. And that certainly does reinforce what you just said, that it can be a misguided strategy to simply focus on evaluating what your competitors are doing and being a a fast follower, if you will. Um, I think that there's value in competitive intelligence. If somebody's figured out a better way to skin the cat, absolutely, like steal shamelessly, replicate it and uh, leverage it within your own business. But if that's the limits of your intelligence gathering, then you're probably gonna be disappointed because the companies that really leap out ahead with game-changing innovations They're not looking at their competitors, as you said, looking at their customers, diving deep, going into that natural habitat, going out into the wild, figuring out the next thing that customers are going to want, even though they had no idea to ask for it. There you go. When you focus on your customers, that helps you understand what's going to be an impressive customer experience to them. And in your book, you actually define 12 principles for delivering an impressive customer experience. And we've alluded to a few of those just in conversation, but can you share a couple of these principles? Uh, Yeah, well, so I figured maybe we should talk about the one regarding simplicity, right? Love it, yes. (laughs) that, That certainly fits in, I know, with your focus in your business, and I'm sure many of your listeners, because they follow you, are interested in that. So one of the 12 principles is the notion of uh, keeping it simple. You know, simplicity is, there are two ways, I would argue, to create simplicity. There is uh, physical simplicity, and then there is mental simplicity. So, you know, you think about physical simplicity, the Amazon one-click button is a good example of that. It's so simple to buy something on Amazon. It's just that, that one click of the mouse, and it's done. And that's, of course, a great way to inject your business with simplicity is to make sure that the business processes and whatnot are streamlined uh, and simple and very clear and, and easy for people to follow. But there is another realm of simplicity that the book explores in a lot of detail, which I want to share with your listeners because I don't think it gets as much attention. And that is the idea of simplicity from a cognitive standpoint. 
you know, a lot of people talk about making it effortless for customers. And when, when they talk about that, they're thinking in terms of that physical effort. How many right. times do I need to click the mouse button? How many times do I need to tell my story to the call center reps when I'm transferred from one department to another? And, and obviously, it's important to minimize that type of effort. But the other type of effort that people can exert is, is this cognitive effort. And that really refers to how easy or difficult it is for people to wrap their heads around some idea or concept that you're trying to communicate to them. And that's where the simplicity piece comes in. And there are a number of examples that that I use in the book about how to achieve cognitive simplicity. One is the notion of um, the paradox of choice, which is a term that uh, a gentleman by the name of Barry Schwartz, a psychology researcher, coined. And what it really refers to is the notion that when people are faced with a wide variety of choices in a business interaction, it creates complexity for them that leads them to then disengage. They essentially run for the hills, which is obviously the last outcome that you want to elicit when you're trying to engage a new sales prospect or an existing customer. And so as an example, if you look at um, 401k products, the retirement plans that, that people invest in, There was a lot of research done around this, and it was found that the more 401k investment options that people have to choose from, the less likely they are to enroll in the retirement plan in the first place, which is obviously a horrible outcome. I mean, that's a horrible customer experience because employers want their employees to invest, uh, to, to put money in their 401k plans because it helps position them well for retirement. So if you're a retirement plan provider, it's like the worst possible experience to do something that leads people to not even enroll in your plan. But that's how a lack of simplicity can shape the customer experience is if I am faced with a whole set of options, I disengage, I recoil from that, and it actually becomes a bad experience as a result. And so the book talks about lots of ways to simplify that, uh, among them really sequencing the decisions that you're asking your customers to make, starting with an easy decision and then getting into more complex ones. So it's almost priming them, if you will, as opposed to throwing at them a whole bunch of options, including complex decision points that just sort of make their head spin. And I think a great example of a company that does this well is Tesla, which obviously has done great, you know, upending the automotive industry. Uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing if you think of that Tesla's only been around for a little more than a decade, and they already have a higher market cap than the top 10 global auto manufacturers combined. And one of the neat things about Tesla is every car purchased is purchased online. Even if you go to a Tesla store, they'll have you sit down at a computer, purchase it online. And when you do that, in contrast to a lot of other auto manufacturers, which sort of like inundate you with a whole laundry list of options that you can put on your vehicle, the Tesla purchase experience starts very simply. It simply tells you upfront, it gives you a binary choice. Do you want a car that's configured for long distances or do you want a car that's configured for performance? That's it. That is the first choice. And once the consumer makes that choice, a whole bunch of other decisions fall into place. So to me, that's a great example of injecting simplicity in the customer experience by really limiting options and sequencing options in a way that makes it easier for people to make choices. How's that for one example of the principle? 
I love it. And thank you for focusing on your keep it simple principle. But when you talk about choices and being able to sequence them or provide like a binary choice, to me, that also ties to one of your other principles around giving the perception of control. So if you give somebody a manageable amount of choices, then they feel like they have control in choosing the experience, but they're not overwhelmed and confused by having just too many choices to make. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and thank you for the lead in to talk about another principle, the perception of control. So we as human beings are control freaks. You know, we like to have control of what's going on around us. And when we don't, then whatever experience it is we're going through, we start to feel uncomfortable with. Think of like hands on the steering wheel. We like to have our hands in the steering wheel to guide our lives. And um, the problem is that in many businesses, you can't give your customer direct control. They can't have their hands on the steering wheel. You know, if I need uh, an operation, I can't do it on myself. I have to get a surgeon involved, right? So I delegate that activity to the surgeon. If I need to buy insurance, I can't underwrite it myself. I have to delegate that to the insurance company. And these are all examples of situations where the moment you start to delegate control to others, there's a real risk that you're going to feel less good about the experience. But the neat thing is the research has shown that there's a really good proxy for giving people direct behavioral control of the experience. And that is giving them the sense, the perception that they have control. And if you do that, I mean, it's really kind of magical how this principle works, because if you do that, they actually feel better about the experience that you're delivering, even if you don't change anything about the experience. And a great example of this in the business world is wait times, Uh, whether it's a physical cue, say at Disney World, or whether it's on a call center hold, when you tell the customer, when you set expectations up front about how long the wait is going to be, it actually gives them a sense of control because, you know, I, I'm standing in line and if nobody tells me how long the line is, how long the wait is, I'm basically wallowing in ambiguity. And I feel at a complete loss of control of my destiny because I have no idea how long I'm going to be waiting in this line. But if I get in the line and somebody looks at me or there's a sign that says, hey, the approximate wait from where you're standing is five minutes, then even though the wait's not getting any shorter, People actually feel better about that experience. As a matter of fact, the research has shown people actually feel like they've waited uh, less long when that expectation is set compared to a line of the same length where no expectation is set. So the notion of giving people a sense of control is really powerful. And as you noted, another way to do it, in addition to setting expectations, is giving people the opportunity to make choices. Because when I don't feel like I'm railroaded into a particular decision, you know, where it's not just sort of one size fits all, but I'm given an opportunity to exert some influence over the experience by exercising the power of choice, that gives me the sense of control. And as you said, with Tesla, it's another great example of that. The notion that it's not just one car, right? It's not like the, you know, Henry Ford. Yeah, you can have the car in any color you want as long as it's black. It's just the idea that I can influence the experience around me. And by design, I'm going to feel better about it as a result. Yeah, there you go. That helps shape their emotion throughout. That helps give them a better memory too. Yeah, it does. And what you find, and the book actually talks about this, these 12 principles, they don't operate in a vacuum. 
they all play off of one another. It, it goes back to what we were discussing with the idea of on stage and the actors and the actresses and the functional silos kind of playing off one another and really the the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. That is the case with the 12 principles as well. They bleed into one another. And as we just saw with uh, the perception of control and, and keeping it simple. Uh, and so when you start to use these principles, it's almost like it creates a flywheel effect where their power just builds on one another. And uh, it helps to create this momentum that really sets your customer experience apart. All right. So looking forward and looking into the future, what do you think is coming into the future where leaders need to be prepared to evolve their customer and employee experience? Well, I would say I don't have a crystal ball. I know many management gurus think they do, but I certainly don't have a crystal ball. But what I would actually suggest to you as one thing that should be on people's radar in the near and distant future is that whole idea of the employee experience and how it influences the customer experience. And the reason I choose to focus on this one is because I think that one of the outcomes of the pandemic has really been to heighten the importance of that workplace experience to the overall success of an organization. I think that what you are seeing today with the great resignation and with quit rates being at their highest levels ever, right. you are seeing a shift in the balance of power from employers to employees. Demand for workers outstrips supply. And as a result, the pendulum has shifted a bit here in terms of who holding the best cards. And I think that that is a dynamic that I don't think that's going to resolve anytime soon. I'm actually hoping that it never resolves because I think that it is something that would be very helpful for the employee experience to be more top of mind for organizational leaders. And I think that the impact of the pandemic is forcing their hand in that regard. And so that is something that I think in the future, people should be paying more attention to. The notion of what does it feel like, not what does it feel like for our customers, but what does it feel like for our employees to be working in our environment, to be doing their job? What are the frustrations that they encounter despite their best efforts? What are the hurdles that prevent them from doing their best job for our customers, delivering that great experience consistently? And uh, what can we do to chip away at those obstacles? They might have to do with the technologies that we're arming our employees with. It might have to do with the training that we're providing them. It might have to do with how we measure and reward them. But these are all ingredients in a workplace that really fosters customer experience excellence. And I think it's going to be a really important point of focus in the future for uh, for leaders in any industry. Oh, yeah, I think so. And to your point, as it's forcing the hand of the employers to focus on creating a more impressive and remarkable employee experience that's going to create more engaged employees who will then deliver a better customer experience. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you know, you get two birds with one stone there. Yeah. If you're delivering a great employee experience, that is necessarily going to bleed into the quality of your customer experience. So that's all goodness. That's it. Very cool. All right, John, I want to finish strong, um, which is one of your other principles. I want to <laughs> finish strong in this interview and ask my favorite question that I asked my guest. 
If you were to create a five song soundtrack for From Impressed to Obsessed, what songs would you include? Okay. So we were talking about this before uh, we, we started the interview, but um, I was a radio DJ back in college. Yeah. So I love that you asked this question. So I, I definitely feel compelled to answer because I love music. And um, there actually are some songs that I think reflect the book. So the five that I would choose, and for your, it's important for your listeners to know, when I was a college radio DJ, I played uh, 60s and 70s music. So that, those are the songs that I've picked. Forgive me if you don't like that genre. Not that you were in college in the 60s and 70s. You yeah, I was. No, I'm not that old. Yeah. So the first one I would pick is, is to reflect the cognitive science behind customer experience. And that would be Memories by Elvis Presley. Oh, yeah. We've been talking, you know, this through this whole interview, the importance of memories. So that's definitely one that's on the playlist. The second would be another topic we covered, the emotional resonance uh, of the experience, the importance of how you feel. So for that one, I would choose James Brown's I Got You, <laughs> which many listeners might not be familiar with that song title, but it's the song where he leads off by saying, whoa, I feel good. That's right. So that would be my second. My third to reflect the idea of making it effortless and simple for customers would be the Eagles' Take It Easy. My fourth, reflecting the importance of being an advocate for your customers, which is another one of the 12 principles, would be the Jackson 5's I'll Be There. Oh, yeah. And then lastly, you mentioned Finishing Strong, which is one of the other 12 principles. And so my final one is Bob Dylan's My Back Pages. Uh, oh, which wow. while written and sung by Bob Dylan, people might be more familiar with the birds version uh, as they recorded it. And my back pages, if you actually look at the lyrics is it's a coming of age story, but I thought it was appropriate because the back pages are the last things that you sort of read of a newspaper or a magazine. And it's the last thing that you do in a customer experience encounter that people are going to remember, be most likely to remember. And so uh, that one ties in with the finish strong principle. So that's my playlist of five. Oh, congratulations. There you go. That's a, I, I love that playlist. I love that you stuck to your college radio decades um, <laughs> and that you tied it in to all the principles. Great job. Thank you. Well, John, I've really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot, but where can people go to learn more from you? Sure. So uh, if they want to learn more about the book or buy a copy, they can go to the book's official website, which is uh, impressedtoobsessed.com. That's impressed, the number two, obsessed.com. Uh, or you can also just go to uh, my personal speaker website, which is johnpico.com. That's J-O-N-P-I-C-O-U-L-T.com. And from there, you can actually get to the book website. You can get to my company's website, Watermark Consulting or to my keynote speaking website. Ah, so there's ways to learn from you by reading the book, but also from your consulting and your speaking too. Yep, and lots of content on those sites, lots of blog posts, 10 years worth. So uh, lots more content for people to consume. And your annual customer experience ROI study too, like that actually shows here's the financial benefits of focusing on customer experience. Yep. Yeah, that's available on the Watermark Consulting website. And I encourage people to look at it because I have found that it is a great way to open executives' eyes to the real power of customer experience to get them interested and engaged in investing in that. That's it. 
Well, John, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on, Matt. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with John Pico. So go and check out From Impressed to Obsessed. It's going to help you and your team create a standout experience that'll turn your customers into obsessed fans. And if you want stats and research to help make the case for investing more into your customer experience, then go grab your copy of John's 2021 Customer Experience ROI Study. You can download it at watermarkconsult.net slash resources. And I'll have a link for it in the show notes too. Hey, are you enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast? If so, you'll want to go ahead and hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Shep Hyken. Shep's a customer service and customer experience expert and a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He's been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame for Lifetime Achievement. And he's the author of eight books, including his latest, I'll Be Back. That was my Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. I'll Be Back. How to get customers to come back again and again. So yeah, there's some Terminator references with this one. Shep and I talk about how you can deliver experiences that keep your customers from terminating their relationship with you. And we discuss the difference between repeat customers and loyal customers and why that matters in your customer experience. So go ahead and subscribe and you'll automatically get Shep's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.